If you're worried about my yearbook, have at it, Senator. Okay. I will. And I am. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and on Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today on what is the first day of the new term at the U.S. Supreme Court. Desi, I know you've been celebrating all night and uh, all morning. Drinking too many beers? Is that what you're trying to suggest? I'm just saying, whatever the amount is, you can look at the chart. Yeah, indeed. Um, anyway, once again, with that new term at the uh, court now underway, um, once again, as it was for the near full year that Republicans refused to even meet with, much less vote on Judge Mer- Merrick Garland, Barack Obama's nominee to fill the seat left vacant by Antonin Scalia for almost an entire year. Once again, the court begins its new term with just four Democratic appointees and four Republican appointees. Senator Mitch McConnell's vow to have their new nominee, uh, the uh, appeals court judge, from D.C., Brett Kavanaugh to the uh, vow to have him already seated on the uh, in, in uh, on that court in the seat vacated by retired swing boat Justice Anthony Kennedy by October one. Well, that at least did not happen. So perhaps Democrats can take that small accomplishment as a tiny victory for the moment. A temporary tiny victory. Exactly. How long that remains the case is now, of course, at the center of one of the most contentious and contemptuous battles to have gripped D.C. and the nation in years, which is saying quite a bit. Uh, My thanks to Angie Coiro of InDeep Radio for filling in for us last week over two of the most difficult days to cover this nightmare. 
She did a uh, yeoman's job. Does that reply, uh, apply to women as well? Yes. I hope so. <laughs> as opposed to yo woman. Uh, anyway, particularly with the fallout on Friday after the testimony on Thursday, as uh, Jeff Flake dramatically called for an FBI probe into the allegations of heavy drinking and sexual assault by Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, and uh, Angie also did a great interview, by the way, uh, with a sexual assault counselor out of uh, Chicago. Um, as I suspect, it has been a very traumatic week for uh, for many victims of sexual assault. Uh, you can, if you miss the uh, miss that show, the uh, Friday broadcast, you can download uh, those shows along with all of them for free at bradblog.com. Though I do thank those of you who visit bradblog.com slash donate uh, to keep us up on your public airwaves and to keep our broadcasts free for all. Uh, but let's start with... Well, let's start with this uh, this FBI probe, the supposed FBI probe, the limit on the list of people that the FBI plans to talk about uh, to, to, to concerning uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and his past, as well as the difficulty that many would-be witnesses are now facing reportedly in their attempts to contribute their information to the FBI, is raising Democratic hackles today. According to a Sunday New York uh, a New Yorker article, multiple people have tried to go to the FBI with pertinent information about Kavanaugh, only to be stymied by uh, seemingly unorganized and uninterested agents, according to several reports. One of those potential witnesses is Elizabeth Razor. She's an ex-girlfriend of Mark Judge. That's Kavanaugh's close friend and drinking buddy. Razor says that Judge had told her about an episode where he and his friends, quote, took turns having sex with a drunk woman, an act that seems to mirror Kavanaugh's third accuser, Julie Swetnick's allegation. Judge has also been accused by Professor Christine Blasey Ford of being an accomplice to Kavanaugh during uh, a separate alleged sexual assault, the one discussed on Thursday by uh, Dr. Ford. Um, and uh, his name, Mark Judge, came up frequently in last week's hearings, though Republicans refused to call him as a witness. Reportedly, today he has finally been interviewed by the FBI, though we don't know too many details about that yet. Another person who is trying to reach the FBI with information is an unnamed Yale classmate, reported by The New Yorker, who wanted to corroborate Deborah Ramirez's accusation that Kavanaugh had exposed himself to her at a college party. The classmate told The New Yorker, quote, I thought it was going to be an investigation, but instead it seems it's just an alibi for Republicans to vote for Kavanaugh. Both Razor and the unnamed Yale classmate were allegedly stonewalled by the FBI, eventually being told to leave their accounts with an 800 number tip line. Really? That's what the New Yorker uh, reports, if you believe the New Yorker. Uh, so uh, how thorough will this FBI investigation actually be? Or is this just more kabuki theater from the Republicans in order to muscle through their nominee? I might vote for uh, for that as the uh, as, as the real point here. 
no matter the fact or no matter how inappropriate this guy, Kavanaugh, may be for a lifetime seat on the U.S. Supreme Court, they don't care. They're just putting up theater. Anyway, we will discuss that shortly with former litigator and law professor Jessica Mason Piccolo, known to many on the Twitters as Hegemami. Uh, more details now continue to come out regarding Kavanaugh, even without the FBI probe, following Kavanaugh's furious denials about everything last Thursday. Even what, uh, even certain things on his high school yearbook page and what they actually meant during his rebuttal testimony to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford uh, last week. We'll talk about a few of those in a moment, but um, Charles Ludington is uh, another person trying to get his information to the FBI. He's a classmate and friend of Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh. He was a classmate at Yale. He told the Washington Post over the weekend that Kavanaugh was an aggressive drunk who once started a fight that landed a mutual friend in jail. Uh, He said uh, when Brett got drunk, he was often belligerent and aggressive. He said, I witnessed him respond to a semi-hostile remark, not by diffusing the situation, but by throwing his beer in the man's face and starting a fight that ended with one of our mutual friends going to jail. Lettington notes that if Kavanaugh lied about his past actions on national television and more especially while speaking under oath in front of the U.S. Senate, I believe those lies should have consequences. I agree, of course. But Ludington is hardly the only one considered to have been a friend of Kavanaugh who has been uh, moved to come out against him after witnessing a number of the defiant claims that Kavanaugh offered last week during his widely seen Senate Judiciary uh, Committee testimony. Here's Liz Swisher, who attended Yale with Kavanaugh, who drank with him, was a roommate also to Debbie Ramirez, who has accused Kavanaugh of exposing himself to her during a drunken party at Yale. Here's Swisher on CNN with Chris Cuomo Cuomo late last week. Well, I've known Brett since the very beginning of freshman year. He was always uh, one of the beer drinking boys, and I drank beer with him. I liked beer. There's no problem with drinking beer in college. The problem is lying about it. He drank heavily. He was a partier. He liked to do beer bongs. He played drinking games. He, he was a sloppy drunk. He was more interested in impressing the boys than he was in impressing the girls. I never saw him be sexually aggressive, but he definitely was sloppy drunk. His description of himself as certainly in high school, I was about my church programs, going to church, studying, being number one, doing my sports teams. Uh, I didn't have sex in high school, didn't have sex for many years after that. Loved beer, but that's it. Nothing to excess. You don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I, um, I didn't, that's not the bread I knew as soon as I met him in college. It's not the bread I saw during four years at Yale. And um, I don't think many of his answers were credible. I don't, I, I really question any senator that believes the Ralph Club had something to do with his known weak stomach. I knew of no weak stomach. That's not what Ralphing means to any college kid. I would have stayed on the sidelines if he had said, Um, I drank to excess in high school. I drank to excess in college. I did some stupid things, um, but but I never sexually assaulted anybody. Uh, That I I would have stayed on the sidelines for. I didn't have any credible evidence to the contrary. But to lie under oath, to lie about that, then what else is true? To To blur, you know, in the highest 
position in the judiciary in our land to not know the difference between truth and lies. That, that's just terrible. It's not about women versus men. It's not about Democrats versus Republicans. It's about the integrity of the Supreme Court. Yep, it sure is. Uh, that was uh, Liz Swisher, former uh, uh, friend of Kavanaugh's at Yale, uh, saying something very similar to what uh, Ludington, also a friend from Yale, classmate from Yale, also said about Kavanaugh. Neither of them feel they would have come forward had he not lied, had Kavanaugh not clearly lied to the Senate. And to me, this is now about lying. It's about the perjury, lying to Congress repeatedly, not 36 years ago, but three days ago and multiple times in his original testimony to the Judiciary Committee a few weeks earlier. We talked about that on this show about his years uh, in the George W. Bush administration regarding torture, his involvement with and use of emails that were stolen from the Democratic members of the Judiciary Committee back when um, uh, he was an operative uh, pushing GOP judicial nominees through their own confirmation hearings back in the 2000s under uh, the George W. Bush White House. Lying about his years before that as a Republican operative on the Ken Starr Commission, unlawfully leaking false information to the press. We've been telling you that Kavanaugh is a GOP operative, that he's not as much a judge as a, a as a gino, if you will. That would be a judge in name only. Yes, correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's an operative, and 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 that was laid a Republican operative. That was laid bare, I think, during the uh, opening line conspiracy theory shots that he was taking at Democrats and the uh, and the Clintons and the conspiracy theory that this was all a big Democratic ploy to undo him as revenge for for Donald Trump, etc. But you'd think that uh, that that would have happened during the confirmation hearings for Neil Gorsuch. If this, in fact, was some great conspiracy, why did the Democrats come out with false claims about sexual assault against Neil Gorsuch? You know, Democrats could have used these claims, you know, to prevent Neil Gorsuch or to try to present uh, prevent Gorsuch when he was blatantly when the Republicans were blatantly stealing that seat from Democrats and and from Merrick Garland after Republicans had held it open for a year. But they didn't do that. So uh, in any event, those claims about him being an operative, you know, were, were I think, borne out in that testimony clearly. But uh, this is not, you know, there's a whole host of reasons, obviously, to oppose Kavanaugh that I would oppose Kavanaugh. Um, but setting aside partisan ideological concerns, political concerns to oppose Kavanaugh. It seems to me that any honest Republican out there, and I appreciate there may not be many left of those, if any, at this point, any honest Republican setting aside the politics, the ideology, the, the, the partisanship, if you look at his testimony both several weeks ago and last week, you would have to conclude that Brett Kavanaugh is a congenital liar. At least if you're honest. How many such Republicans there are in the U.S. Senate at this point, uh, that would, let's put it nicely, that would be a matter of debate. Uh, but here was Jeff Flake, the retiring Republican senator from Arizona who called for the FBI probe last Friday uh, during that dramatic vote on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. 
Uh, here he is with his friend and colleague Chris Coons, Democratic senator from Delaware, on 60 Minutes on Sunday night when they were directly asked whether a lie revealed by Kavanaugh to the committee would end his confirmation. If Judge Kavanaugh is shown to have lied to the committee, nomination's over? Oh, yes. I would think so. Oh, yes. Nomination would be over, says Flake, echoed there by Coons. Well, don't believe it. Uh, Don't believe Jeff Flake for a second, because we already know that Cap- you know, a lot of people are making him out as a hero and he was obviously conflicted and, and had to, uh, you know, meet his conscience on what to do last Friday. But we already know that Kavanaugh has lied to the committee about things big and small. So for Flake to say, oh, yeah, it would be over if it was shown that he lied. So let me focus on, on the small for a moment. And I realize these are small, but these are much less political. Here was Senator Sheldon uh, Whitehouse, Democrat of Rhode Island, explaining why on Friday he would be voting against Kavanaugh in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings on Friday. I did not find him credible. I don't believe boof is flatulence. I don't believe the devil's triangle is a drinking game. And I don't believe calling yourself a girl's alumnus is being her friend. And I think drinking till you Ralph or fall out of the bus or don't remember the game or need to piece together your memory the next day is more consistent with Dr. Ford's and others' testimony than his own. So, let me just run through a few of those here very quickly, because, again, these are not political. They're not partisan. They're not ideological. These are just flat out lies to the Judiciary Committee from Kavanaugh. And that is a felony regarding uh, his background. Small lies, yes, but they are lies nonetheless. Blatant lies that should already have triggered Senator Flake to vote against Kavanaugh if he was serious, that a lie before the committee would end the nomination then and there. All right, let's start with, uh, let's start with boofed. Judge, have you, I don't know if it's boofed or boofed. How do you pronounce that? That refers to flatulence. We were 16. Okay. We want to talk about flatulence at age 16 on a yearbook page. I'm, I'm game. Yeah, that does not refer to flatulence. Uh, and I have to be careful what I say here, obviously, but boofed. Uh, I went to school at pretty much the exact same time, high school, uh, the same time that uh, Kavanaugh went. Boofed is short for, uh, well, it's a shortened version of boofood, which is a shortened version of something else that I cannot say on the radio that begins with B and F. Thank you. And that isn't Brad Friedman. But um, so, uh, yeah, I heard from a lot of right wingers this weekend uh, about this because Huffington Post quoted me on this and and what boofed actually means. It's a sexual act. It is not uh, flatulence. If it was, it makes one wonder why Brett Kavanaugh would ask Mark Judge on his yearbook page if Mark Judge had boofed yet and why Mark Judge would ask Kavanaugh whether he has boofed yet. Then there was the uh, Devil's Triangle. Devil's Triangle? Drinking game. How's it played? Three glasses. 
in a triangle. And? You ever played quarters? No. Okay. It's a quarters game. No. No, it is not a quarters game. Devil's Triangle is a threesome with two men and one woman, not unlike the one that Dr. Uh, Blossie Ford uh, charges might have happened had she not escaped from that party in 1982. Then there's Ralph Week. Let's look at uh, Beach Week Ralph Club biggest contributor. What does the word Ralph mean in that? Uh, that probably refers in, in, to uh, throwing up. I'm known to have a weak stomach and I always have. Okay. And, and Just, this is well known. Anyone who's known me, like a lot of these people behind me, have uh, known me my whole life, know you know, I got a weak stomach, whether it's with beer or with spicy food or anything. Yes, that's right. He wrote about having a weak stomach for spicy food in his yearbook when he talked about going to the beach for a week. And, oh, he was concerned. I guess he would just have too many jalapenos. <laughs> that must was... have been what it was. Uh, finally, uh, we get to Renata. You mentioned, I think, the Renate or... Renata. Renata. And then after that is the word alumnius. What does the word alumnius mean in that context? I explained that in my opening statement. We, um, she was a great friend of ours. Uh, we, a bunch of us went to dances with her. She hung out with us as a group. She's a good person. And to have her name dragged through this hearing is a joke and really an embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, he's so worried about dragging her name through this hearings through these hearings that he and the rest of the football squad repeatedly referred to her as if she was a sexual con conquest in page after page of their yearbook. Other than that, he's terribly upset that anybody would try to embarrass his friend Renata, who they all admired so very much. Only Renata didn't seem to know about that until just a few days ago. As Matt Zeitlin observed uh, over at Slate, looking at some of these same things over the weekend, he said, look, it feels silly to parse yearbook notations that are literally juvenilia, but he writes, it matters. A straight-A student with a close-knit group of friends who enjoyed some beer on a summer weekend before going off to Yale sounds like someone who could be a Supreme Court justice, but a binge-drinking football player who, along with his friends, boasted of their supposed sexual exploits at the expense of women sounds like something else entirely. Well, maybe. But even that is a judgment call. The fact that Kavanaugh clearly lied about one thing after another after another as an adult in front of the U.S. Senate, that should disqualify him, period, already. No FBI investigation needed. And if Jeff Flake wasn't willing to admit as much and vote against him in the committee on Friday, I'm not sure what he expects the FBI investigation to show. An FBI investigation which is reportedly being very limited by the White House and or the Senate. So I don't know what Flake is expecting will be turned up that would convince him to do the right thing and reject Kavanaugh as unfit for the U.S. Supreme Court. Shortly before air today, Mitch McConnell, Senate Republican Majority Leader, announced that a vote for Kavanaugh's confirmation will be held on the Senate floor this week, apparently no matter what the FBI probe turns up. So clearly this is not being carried out in good faith. But what might the FBI probe actually turn up? Let's take a quick break and we'll talk with Jessica Mason Piclo about exactly that and much more. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. This is your FBI. Certainly is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The FBI investigation meant to defuse the explosive conflict over Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh sparked a new round of partisan combat over the weekend as the White House appeared to retain sharp limits on the probe, even as President Trump and Republican officials publicly suggested otherwise. Two Trump administration officials said Sunday that the White House had not placed any limits on the FBI investigation into claims of sexual assault leveled against Kavanaugh, but was also opposed to a, quote, fishing expedition that could take a broader look at Kavanaugh's credibility and behavior, including his drinking issues during high school and his college years. The statements, according to The Washington Post, made by Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Presidential Counselor Kellyanne Conway in television interviews, followed reports that federal investigators are pursuing allegations made by two women and only two women, that would be Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and Deborah Ramirez, but not a third, Julie Swetnick, who signed a sworn affidavit last Wednesday accusing Kavanaugh of sexually aggressive behavior, targeting women for assault at parties, and being present at parties where gang or train rapes occurred of, inca of incapacitated women. She says she became one of those women at one of those parties. For his part, Trump himself tweeted late on Saturday that reports of limitations being placed on the probe were false and that, quote, actually, he wants the FBI to, quote, interview whoever they deem appropriate at their discretion. He also claimed the FBI had, quote, free reign in the investigation, telling reporters, quote, they're going to do whatever they have to. They'll be doing things we never even thought of. And hopefully at the conclusion... Everything will be fine. But a senior U.S. official speaking on the condition of anonymity to the Washington Post confirmed on Sunday that Swetnick is not expected to be interviewed and said interviews pertaining to the other allegations will be limited to Kavanaugh, the first two accusers, and people who have been identified as present for those two incidents. Senator Lindsey Graham who, as you know, is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, described a similar witness list during several TV appearances over the weekend. Not on the list to be interviewed, according to NBC News sources, are former classmates who have contradicted Kavanaugh's account of his college alcohol consumption, instead describing him as a frequent and heavy drinker. The FBI is also not authorized to interview high school classmates who could shed light on what some have called untruths. That's a nice way to put it, NBC. 
in Kavanaugh's Senate Judiciary Committee testimony about alleged sexual references in his high school yearbook. Amid the confusion, Senator Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the committee, on Sunday wrote to White House Counsel Don McGahn, who has been in charge of shepherding Kavanaugh through these confirmation hearings, and purportedly he's the one who gave the official uh, request for this probe to the FBI. Feinstein wrote to him and FBI Director Christopher Wray Sunday asking for a copy of any written directive sent to investigators. Senator Christopher Kuhn, a Democrat from Delaware, also a Judiciary Committee member, said on MSNBC on Saturday, quote, there are multiple allegations currently in front of the committee, and I think it's not hard to figure out the universe of witnesses. It's not 500, he said. It may not be 50, but it has to be more than five. White House spokesperson Rod Shaw said on Sunday the Democrats are, quote, merely attempting to further delay and politicize the investigation. And Trump, in a shift in tone from the night before, how unusual for him, tweeted on Sunday that Democrats are, quote, starting to put out the word that the time and scope of FBI looking into Judge Kavanaugh and witnesses is not enough for them. It will never be enough, he said. Meanwhile, a source confirmed to NBC News that Debbie Ramirez, who says Kavanaugh exposed himself to her during a drunken party at Yale, has in fact spoken with the FBI on Sunday. And she provided investigators with a list of witnesses she says corroborate her claim. Whether the FBI will be permitted to interview those witnesses, uh, allegedly those who, corrupt, who can corroborate her story, that is unknown at this hour, at least to me, an attorney for one potential witness, Elizabeth Razor, said that her client has not been contacted by the FBI despite repeated offers to cooperate. Razor was in a relationship with Mark Judge for about three years. He, of course, is Kavanaugh's close friend, said to have been in the room with him and Dr. Blasey Ford during the alleged rape attempt back in 1982. Razor has notified the Judiciary Committee several times about her offer of assistance. Meanwhile, in an interview with The New Yorker, Razor said that she felt morally obligated to reveal that judge had told her ashamedly about an incident that involved multiple boys having sex with a drunk woman. Razor was disturbed by the story, felt it undermined judges' claims about the sexual innocence of those at Georgetown Prep. And Charles Ludington, a former varsity basketball player and friend of Kavanaugh's at Yale, told the Washington Post on Sunday that he plans to deliver a statement to the FBI field office in Raleigh on Monday detailing violent drunken behavior by Kavanaugh in college, Ludington is now an associate professor at North Carolina State University and says in one instance, Kavanaugh initiated a fight that led to the arrest of a mutual friend. Well, that ought to be checkable by the FBI. He said, quote, when Brett got drunk, he was often belligerent and aggressive. On one of the last occasions I purposely socialized with Brett, I witnessed him respond to a semi-hostile mark remark not by diffusing the situation, but by throwing his beer in the man's face and starting a fight that ended with one of our mutual friends in jail. Just a friendly reminder, we are talking about 
the man who would uh, receive a lifetime appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court if, in fact, he is confirmed, despite all of these allegations from all sorts of sources at this point. Ludington says he was deeply troubled by Kavanaugh appearing to blatantly mischaracterize his drinking in Senate testimony. He said, I do not believe that heavy drinking or even loudish behavior of an 18 or 20 year old should condemn a person for the rest of his life. However, if he lied about his past actions on national television and more especially while speaking under oath in front of the U.S. Senate, I believe those lies should have consequences. Finally, for now, an open letter, a call to action, as they describe it, was sent on Saturday by two Georgetown prep school graduates in support of Dr. Ford and, quote, in solidarity with women everywhere who have endured sexual assault, violence and harassment. They called on fellow alumni to reach out to the FBI if they have any information to share relevant to the Kavanaugh investigation. Whether the FBI will reach back at this point remains the question of the day, the week, and given the stakes of a lifetime appointment to the swing vote seat on the highest court in the land, perhaps that remains the question for another generation or two. Joining us now for some insight on where this nightmarish circus goes from here, what the FBI will and won't and should and shouldn't be investigating is Jessica Mason Piclo. She is known far and wide as Hegemami on the Twitters. She's vice president of law and the courts at Rewire.News. She's a former assistant director of the Health Law Clinic at Hamlin Law School in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a former litigator herself. She is now also the co-host of the legal commentary podcast, Boom Lawyered, over at Rewire.News and has been following the Kavanaugh hearings and all that goes with it, just about as close as anybody over the past several days and weeks, even following the hearings last Thursday, I believe, while on an airplane. Jessica mason Piclo, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And yes, indeed, I was covering them from the air. <laughs> you were. Well, then maybe you can confirm where, in fact, because we had seen reports that uh, people were watching uh, on their plane, uh, plane back mm-hmm. uh, seats. Uh, is, is that true? Were, were you the only one or did you notice other people on the plane also following it as well? So I um, for the actual testimony, I was um, I had the pleasure of joining some students at Harvard Law School for part of that. Uh-huh. Um, but I was covering the vote back on the plane. But uh-huh. I can tell you that everywhere we went um, on the day of the testimony, people um, it was on TVs. People had it on their phone. It was the only thing that um, folks uh, seemed to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a story that's at least um, captivated the nation's attention for right now and hopefully longer. As, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I'll welcome your thoughts on whether you agree or not here, I saw quite enough during Kavanaugh's initial round of testimony uh, to believe that he is a, a blatant liar. And that was before the testimony last week, at which only, to me, reconfirmed that once again, that he's willing to lie about things big and small, even though the... You know, the lies last week were often about things that might not matter right now, what he said in his yearbook, for example. The fact that he is willing to lie about them today in Congress, under oath, while facing confirmation hearings uh, for the U.S. Supreme Court, that in and of itself seems disqualifying to me, no matter what the FBI may or may not find in its 
purported investigation of the uh, sexual assault allegations against him. Do you share my uh, my thinking along those lines? Oh, absolutely, because we have to remember that what the confirmation hearings are are a uh, window into Judge Kavanaugh's judicial temperament. And uh, you might remember during the Sonia Sotomayor confirmation hearing, Senator Lindsey Graham, for example, spent a lot of time on Justice Sotomayor's temperament mm-hmm. and writings that she had, had done about her experience growing up as a Latina and, and um, what that brought to her judging. And so while we have some really... Um, serious and in some cases fallacious allegations against Judge Kavanaugh, these, it's, the confirmation hearing isn't a criminal trial. This mm-hmm. is about probing his temperament for the bench. And the, and the federal judicial standards say that you, you know, have to have a judicial temperament. That includes no um, evidence of excessive partisanship also, for example. Mm. So we have a whole list of things that so far, as you rightly said before, um, this additional day of testimony for Dr. Ford's uh, testimony and Kavanaugh's rebuttal that indicated he does not have the temperament to uh, serve on the Supreme Court, let alone retain his seat on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, frankly. Yeah, that's another question that I guess we're going to have to get to no matter what happens with uh, this, the Supreme Court nomination. All of that aside, uh, Jess, if you were in charge of the FBI right now, uh, knowing what you know about the case, and if you were given no restraints by the White House or the Senate, what would you task your agents to go out and try to figure out at this point? Who should they talk to? What What is still unknown? Uh, you know, what are the areas still open for debate that could potentially be settled by a, a legitimate in, uh, FBI investigation if we were to have one? Well, I think Senator Coons is exactly right in his comments that we're not looking at a field of potential witnesses of, say, five or even 50. We are looking at a handful of people who have some knowledge of not just the uh, initial events, but are corroborating witnesses and also can shed some light on other aspects of, uh, of the allegations. So very obviously that would include an interview with Dr. Ford herself, who Mm -hmm. as of right now, uh, reports suggest that she still has not been contacted Mm -hmm. by the FBI. That would also include uh, Judge Kavanaugh, obviously Mark Judge, um, and uh, this character, Squee, who came up in in, uh, his testimony, who appears to be Chris Garrett, who Mm -hmm. was Dr. Ford's uh, boyfriend in high school, and the one she says introduced her to to her. we have Leland Kaiser, who also, uh, Judge Kavanaugh insists, uh, corroborates his report that this party never happened, but that's not actually what her testimony says. She says that she believes Dr. Ford, and she doesn't have a recollection of this specific event. And so that's an excellent opportunity for an investiga- investigator to go in and see what those parameters are. Um, we have colleagues and, and classmates of um, Dr. Judge Kavanaugh, who's mm-hmm. come forward, you know, like Charles Ludington you mentioned, but we also have people like the individual who was um, in charge of administering the polygraph that Dr. Ford took, and mm. that's someone who we're not hearing a lot about, but that's someone who can testify to the scope of the examination, under what circumstances they were contacted, all of those things, and that can also help rebut allegations that this is a political hit job, which we heard Kavanaugh say again and again and again and which has been picked up by uh, Senate Judiciary Republicans and the president himself. 
One of the claims that uh, Kavanaugh himself and, and a bunch of Republicans were all making and the White House as well last week is that, well, the FBI in these sorts of investigations, this is a background probe, not a criminal investigation. They don't draw any conclusions. So it doesn't matter. It's, uh, I guess, uh, not useful because they draw no conclusions. Uh, if they don't draw conclusions, uh, just devil's advocate here. What uh, what good would these uh, what what good would would this investigation be, uh, as you see it, if you were a sitting senator here waiting for this information to come back? Well, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous statement to say that that um, because the FBI doesn't quote unquote draw conclusions, that there's no value to be gained from an investigation. I mean, that if that's the case, then there would never be any value to be gained from any law enforcement investigation because it is uh, prosecuting attorneys and so on who draw the conclusions in, in, in those instances. Mm -hmm. But what we have here is a fact-finding mission, and we have allegations uh, against uh, Judge Kavanaugh and evidence that suggests that he, uh, at the very least, misled Senate uh, Judiciary members under oath, if not outright lied. And that in and of itself is disqualifying. This isn't about the FBI trying to figure out what happened uh, on July 1st, if that is the date of of the party and the incident at issue, which it looks like that could be. Mm -hmm. um, what it is, uh, what their job is to do is to get as much information from both sides of these allegations to present then to the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee and members of the White House that says, here is the, here is the information. I mean, it is actually just an extension of the advice and consent and disclosure process that's supposed to happen in the routine course of nominations. I mean, this is a nomination that has been marked from the beginning by a lack of transparency and an unwillingness to talk about the actual record of Judge Kavanaugh in, in his time in, say, the Bush White House uh -huh. or clerking for Judge Kaczynski. Yeah. And the manner in which Republicans are trying to manipulate this additional in investigation is really, in my opinion, just an extension of that theme that we've seen over the course of this entire nomination. Yeah, I know, which makes me wonder, uh, I mean, because those were already pretty clear to me, uh, you know, knowing about the uh, the theft of, of uh, the emails that were uh, from uh, between Democrats uh, back in the 2000s. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in his record that would already, even before all of this other stuff came up, uh, to my mind, at least, to of any fair-minded person would say, you know what, this is a guy who has already lied about his record, who is already we cannot trust him. Um, but the White House has said they are, uh, at least according to Washington Post and others, that they have not placed any limits on the investigation. At the same time, however. They've also said that they're leaving it up to the Senate to give them instructions, to give the instructions to the FBI. Can we read that, Jess, as the White House saying, well, we're imposing no restrictions, but the Senate may be imposing those restrictions big time on what can and cannot be looked into? Absolutely. I think with everything that comes from the White House and specifically President Trump itself, we have to take it with an enormous pile of salt and an eye toward it being specific disinformation here. The only real comment that we have on the scope of the investigation is coming from Charles Grassley initially that said it would be no more than a week mm -hmm. and limited to current credible allegations. And what we've had around that is a lot of noise. And the White House is saying that it's lifting restrictions, but then saying, well, but really, 
you know, we're going to leave that uh, up to the Senate to take care of that, which means the Senate Judiciary Committee and Charles Grassley, who has, through this entire nomination process, made it impossible to access anything regarding, nearly anything regarding Judge Kavanaugh's uh, records, and has really just railroaded this nomination in a way that makes actual transparency a practical impossibility. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a joke. I mean, uh, it, it, he's been, you know, claiming we're releasing more uh, documents than ever before, but uh, this guy has a longer record than ever before. So with that in mind, uh, Jessica, is there any reason to believe that the report from the FBI, uh, whenever it comes within the next few days, that it will actually, will, do we know that it will actually be released to the senators, much less the public? I mean, as I understand it, the probe's being done at the president's request. Formally, any information gathered goes to the White House, and then they would get to decide what is released and what is not released, no? Right. We, You're exactly right. We don't have uh, clear guidelines and rules for not only just how this uh, investigation is going to happen, but what uh, the results of, but, you know, what will be done with the results of that information. And if it just goes to the White House, we can be guaranteed that nothing happens, right? I mean, they have, this is absolutely about protecting their nominee to the fullest extent. And in terms of if information were to get to the Senate, um, you know, then the obvious question is, well, what information is getting there is the entirety of the information. Um, and mm -hmm. again, the information will only be as good as the scope of the investigation. And do, do you expect that the, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm asking, asking you to uh, get into predictions here, so feel free to ignore me. But <laughs> if that's all that they do, if they only look at this very limited set of, of, of witnesses and circumstances, do you get any indication from the uh, potential swing voters here, Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, that they would, you know, say, well, you know, that they'll go along with it basically and say, well, we did that investigation good enough for us. That's I, do, do you get any sense where these three folks are at this point? Uh, yeah. So on Monday, uh, Senator Flake said he would be disappointed if the investigation wasn't comprehensive and if the White House had, in fact, put um, these kinds of restrictions on. And uh, whether that means uh, anything of any value remains to be seen. I, I appreciate what Judge Flake did in negotiating a time, or Judge uh, Senator Flake did in, in negotiating a time frame for mm -hmm. an investigation, but he also voted him out of committee. Um, and so there is there are plenty of reasons to be skeptical of the uh, moderate uh, Republicans in this calculation here. Uh, Susan Collins has all but suggested, even as the allegations were coming forward, that her uh, mind had been made up on Kavanaugh, um, and she's doing all sorts of machinations to suggest that she's not really worried about his effect on all sorts of precedent, whether it's reproductive rights or LGBTQ rights or presidential power. So in a lot of ways, it feels like the Republicans are quite comfortable staying lockstep with Trump on his nominations and are more looking for the FBI report to give them cover to vote yeah. to confirm rather than a reason to uh, vote against him. That sure is the sense that I get. Uh, Jessica Piclo, I've got just a minute or two here. Let me see if I can get in uh, two sort of broader questions. Um, if the Democrats can block a... Uh, 
a Trump nominee uh, until they take over in January, if in fact, and that is still a very big if, if in fact they can take over the Senate in January. Uh, would you agree that they should hold the seat open for two years as Lindsey Graham came right out and charged the Democrats with planning to do? And frankly, I'll give you my opinion. I hope that is what they're planning to do. Yeah, I would love to see the Democrats play some uh, brass knuckle politics here. You know, the unfortunate part of that calculation is there's still the possibility of a recess appointment and confirmation. So mm. the Republicans have a little bit of wiggle room, um, and I would expect them to pounce. However, um, if there's chaos and, you know, if all of the ifs line up um, and Democrats do have the opportunity to block the seat, I say block the seat. I mean... You know, we are well beyond the point of being worried about the Supreme Court being politicized. It was politicized well before Merrick Garland, even. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, what we're talking about is really uh, maintaining um, the last little bit of not even control, just direction of the federal courts to a hard, hard right for a lifetime. Uh, And and I didn't even I hadn't even thought about that. Have we ever had a, a recess appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court? Um, we did, and you're asking me on the spot, so I can't remember exactly no. who it was, but it was during the Eisenhower administration. That's okay. No, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I had just, it had never occurred to me that that had ever happened or that anybody would ever think of appointing uh, a recess appointing to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, last question here, uh, even broader, uh, David Ferris um, has okay. written a book called Time to Fight Dirty. I don't know if you've spoken to him, but he argues that uh, if and when Democrats take over both houses of Congress and the White House again, if that ever happens, that they should pack the Supreme Court with two additional seats or however many are needed to retake a majority that arguably should have been theirs uh, after the death of, uh, of Scalia when they take back control. Um, I've been asking this to a, a lot of our guests. Should the Democrats, after the midterms, should they start talking about that out loud, uh, you know, as a mandate, if in fact they are put back into the White House in uh, in 2020? Well, I, so yes and no. I'm of two minds of this. Yes, because our federal courts are in crisis and we need more judges. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about it in terms of uh, court packing, then that um, is... Uh, that is an outcome that I don't think gets us anywhere beyond um, this cycle of um, excessive uh, politicization of the federal judiciary. So we need more judges. And our federal courts have been in crisis, and they were in crisis before this, and now Trump and, and Republicans have been able to shove them through. And we have, and I would love to see more judges on the Supreme Court um, in terms of, you know, what that looks in, in a packing. Um, you know, uh, there is there will be a quid pro quo. There's already a quid pro quo. I don't know how, what to do about that, but in terms of generally, let's get more judges uh, in the federal judiciary. And yes, and and Democrats introducing legislation to expand the courts. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Well, he talks about that uh, as well. The the federal courts in general, but specifically on the uh, Supreme Court. And I gotta say, uh, mm-hmm. it was it was stolen from the Democrats. 
And if it means uh-huh. they have to take it back and, and, you know, play hardball, fight dirty, as he says, I think that's a, an idea worth uh, looking uh-huh. at and talking about. Uh, maybe we'll have uh, you and David on the show together one day. We can uh, hash oh, out <laughs> the pros and cons of that. Uh, oh, you know, on a slow news day. I'm sure there'll be one sometime. Yeah, that'll ever. happen, I bet. <laughs> Jessica Mason Piclo. You can uh, find her, of course, on the Twitters as Hegemami. You can also find her work over at rewire.news. And you should listen to her uh, podcast, her legal commentary podcast, Boom Lawyered with our friend Imani Gandhi as well. Uh, Jessica, greatly appreciate you joining us today. Hope you don't mind if we bother you again uh, sometime in the near future. Anytime, please do. Thank you. Oh, she'll be sorry. All right, quick break. Uh, Running late here, so quick break, and we're back with uh, some more good, uh, well, encouraging news for Democrats, polling news before the November 6th election. Remember that? That's next on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back. It's your Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradvlog.com. Yes, November 6th is coming up, Desi Doyen. You're, you're registered to vote, right? I am. You've checked your registration lately to make sure you're still registered to vote, right? I have. Well done. Smartly done. Thank hope, you. Hope everyone does the same. Yes, and make sure you remind your own friends and family to do as well. Hope folks in Kansas do the same. The Kansas governor's race is now a dead heat According to an Emerson University poll released on Sunday, this just five weeks before Election Day, Secretary of State Chris Kobach leads Democratic State Senator Lori Kelly by just one point. One point among uh, registered voters in any event, 37 to 36 percent. Independent Greg Orman is in a distant third, but with 9% of the vote. Uh, A vote for Orman could make the difference as far as uh, who wins that Republican versus Democratic gubernatorial race. 15% of voters remain undecided at this time in the great state of Kansas. So essentially... That is a dead heat well within the margin of error. Those results are consistent with other surveys of the race, but uh, show that the results are going to come down to the wire. Fantastic. Just what we really want. I always love a close election. Uh, it's, uh, we will, uh, as, uh, Allegra Kirkland writes, uh, we could see a notorious GOP hardliner in Chris Kobach become the most powerful figure in Kansas or not. The Democratic lawmaker 
is a moderate. The uh, That would be Laura Kelly, who uh, she has received endorsements from a number of prominent Kansas Republicans who see Kobach as far, far, far to the right, too far to the right for even many of these Kansas Republicans. He earned his uh, national reputation for cracking down on undocumented immigrants with unconstitutional laws in Arizona and elsewhere. He's been uh, promoting the myth of widespread Democratic voter fraud. Uh, Donald Trump is going to campaign alongside Kobach on, uh, let's see, this weekend in Topeka. He endorsed uh, Kobach just before the August primary. And as long as we're uh, talking about Kansas, the National Republican Congressional Committee, or NRCC, has canceled its TV reservations for Congressman Kevin Yoder, Republican of Kansas, making him the sixth House incumbent, Republican House incumbent, that either the uh, NRCC or its closely aligned super PAC are now leaving for dead heading into the campaign's final months. Wow. They don't think he can win in so Kansas. They're, they're not going to even try. They're pulling out their money. They're going to put it into other races that they think they have a better chance of winning. The NRCC canceled the ads uh, in just recent days, according to uh, Cam Joseph over at TPM, who spoke, uh, with, who, who got this confirmed from GOP sources. That means they're walking away from Yoder in a suburban Ca Kansas City district that Trump lost by one point back in 2016. He is facing attorney and former mixed martial arts fighter Sharice Davids in the seat. If she wins, she'll become the first Native American woman and only the second openly gay woman ever to be elected to Congress. Yoder joins Congressman uh, Mike Kaufman, a Republican from Colorado, Mike Bishop, Republican from Mich uh, Michigan, Barbara Comstock, Republican from Virginia, Rod Bloom, Republican from Iowa, and Keith Rothfuss, Republican from Pennsylvania, as incumbents that the NRCC or the Congressional Leadership Fund that's their uh, the GOP's main super PAC that they have uh, been forced to give up on entirely in order to save their money for what are seen as more winnable races. So uh, Cam Joseph notes that those half dozen members paired with more than a half dozen open seats that Republicans are not even seriously spending in at all. That gives Democrats roughly half of the 24 seats that they need for the House to regain to take over the House majority this fall. Half of them right there, Republicans seem to be already throwing in the towel. Democrats need only 12 more. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to my guest today, Jessica Piclo of Rewire.News, and, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated if you missed any portion of today's show or any other at any time in all our years of doing the Bradcast. Download them for free at bradblog.com. Though we do thank those of you who support our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You guys are the ones uh, who stop there making it free for everybody else. So if you're one of those everybody else, please stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Find me, follow me, and share me there. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh, oh, oh.